0: Howdy folks, and welcome to Session Zero, the Choose Your Old Adventure Podcast. I'm Grim, or Grimnir on the server, Matthew in real life, but nobody calls me that anyway. Today we've got Episode 11, Baldur's Gate 3 and You. Yes, this is the game that has been eating all of my time lately, and also all of my cash. Would you believe that partway through Act 2, I realized my Mac could no longer handle the game requirements, and what do you know, now... Amazon had a sale and I have a new desktop gaming PC. We've got two upcoming games that need players. One of them is run by Devin and is Strahd Must Die. And the other is run by Tristan, the Beast of Nemor. Hopefully I'm pronouncing that correct. Both of them happen to take place on Saturday and they'll be running those on Discord and Roll20. Both of them have some empty slots. That'd be great. I think they're going to be some Halloween themed events. Given that I've been sinking so much time into this game. Post-Nap Matthew breaking in here. The game we're talking about is Baldur's Gate 3. We now return to your regularly scheduled broadcast. I have been getting a lot of inspiration as well from it as both player and DM. This game has a lot to pull from it regarding uh, tabletop gaming be it Dungeons and Dragons or some other fantasy or any kind of gaming at all, there's lots of stuff to be drawn on from it. Because I both play and DM many games, I thought I'd break it up into two sections that are, of course, interrelated and talk a little bit about what kind of inspiration I'm drawing from it and the player side, so when I'm playing a character in the game. One of the things that I thought was really interesting about the game is a lot of the characters in it, the NPCs you can recruit into your party, and sometimes the character itself, the main character that you're playing in the game, they have actually a pretty grand backstory. Some of them have had very high ranks, some of them have big reputations, and yet here they are starting all at first level. That's a common point of ridicule online, I've seen that people will have this grandiose backstory where they have slain armies and single-handedly brought nations to their knees, and yet there they are as a level one player. Uh, This is gotten around in the game by having something happen to them, something traumatic that could conceivably take away much of their power, and I think that's sort of the explanation that they don't really detail out, but it's sort of something that you have to kind of assume. One of the things that you're going to notice as a running theme throughout this episode of the podcast is always you've got to be communicating with your DM and with the other players. If you have that plan for the big grand backstory where your character was somebody important but is only first level now, make sure you're including a reason for it. Why are they only first level after they had these great accomplishments and how are others going to react to you in the game? There's one NPC, for example, the Blade of Frontiers. He's got that big reputation. People know about him. People react to the reputation. They don't so much react to the fact that he is level three or whatever by the time he's actually meeting people in public. Another key feature of the PCs and NPCs that you have in the game they all tend to be flawed in some way some of them pretty egregiously and pretty horrifically they are in some cases quite murderous and completely amoral that is something that i have done as a player as well one of the things to keep in mind when doing that though your character does need to work as part of a team they need to have a reason to band together with this group of people that may not share their own moral compass and may hopefully be a lot less murderous in particular i'm thinking of the sour lemons of doom campaign where i have a character that is bent on revenge and honestly she is not a very nice person at all doesn't really care much for her fellow human beings does care a lot about murdering people that she feels wronged her and deserve the death penalty for that however when building that character i gave her a reason to work with the party and also i went with what the dm wanted And I am going in that that with the intention that she will grow as a person and theoretically, potentially, give up her quest for revenge or curb it or whatever. That's why it's a collective storytelling. I don't know what's going to happen myself, necessarily. The other thing that comes to mind with that and related to it is that sometimes there's a lot of tension within the party. There are in the Baldur's Gate game, there are two characters that you can pick up as NPCs who at first meeting want to kill each other. Well, one of them wants to murder the other. They can be talked down from it and it all is a oh just a, a fun misunderstanding, as it turns out. But that misunderstanding has very real consequences. And there is nothing wrong, in my opinion, with having some interparty conflict. Intra party? I guess it's intra party at this point. Anyway, conflict within the party. One of the things that I do try to keep in mind when I'm having that as both a DM or a player, I don't want to roll against other members of my party. So I'm not gonna make an intimidation check and force by game rules them to back down. That's not very fun for me as a player. That's something that you do to NPCs. However, you can roll against them, play your role, argue as your character against their character, that can be a lot more fun and hopefully resolve the tension within the party and ideally you as players are working together even when you as characters are not. That's the fun part is that we're all friends at the table even if the characters aren't friends at the table. So ideally you're going to play against that other character but play with that other player to make a fun scene even if the characters involved in that scene would not consider it at all fun. To summarize I think basically I'm saying have the grand backstory is fine as long as you're making sure to communicate with the DM and make sure it fits and that the character ends up at an appropriate level for the start of the campaign. Having a flawed character is also pretty awesome especially if they are such an objectionable character to start they should really have some room to grow and you should be working with the other players and the DM at the table even when the characters themselves are at odds. Let that tension go in the party but don't roll against others. I mean honestly I'm of the opinion that a lot of people roll too often in role-playing games. A lot of the stuff that is resolved with dice rolls in my opinion could be better resolved with just talking at the table and this all comes down to communication being the key. When you're coming up with the story for your character, remember that the DM has put a ton of time into making the story for the whole party, not just your character. So whatever story you've got in mind, you might need to be somewhat flexible, just like we talked about a bit last episode with bringing in a character from some fiction uh, that you've read or experienced in some other way. You need to be a bit flexible and maybe not be a perfect match for what you had intended, but one that would fit better in the campaign. And of course, the DM should be a little flexible too. I've had characters come to the table where I'm intending to have a more Dark Ages feel and they want really are desperate to play a Warforged. And it's like, well, you know what? Let me think of an in-universe reason for there to be one. And generally, there's something that I can fit. So DM should be flexible a bit on that too. But I guarantee you that the DM has put a lot more time and effort into making the world, so please do respect that when you as a player are coming up with this wild and crazy backstory. Everybody is playing the same game, but the DM has probably sunk a lot of time into making that story already and doesn't want to alter it too egregiously. Moving on to the DM side of the screen and the inspiration I've been drawing from the game there, one of the biggest things Ties in to actually me talking about not wanting to roll so many dice at the table. It is a massive pet peeve of mine when I encounter repeatedly in Baldur's Gate 3 traps that have a DC 30 to disarm them, but can be disarmed in another way that honestly doesn't even need a roll. Well, if it doesn't need a roll to jam up the works, I think you people know what vents I'm talking about. When I'm venting here, uh, if you just can throw a rock onto it, that's not a DC 30 disarm traps roll. That's a DC 5 or you just declare it to have happened and you don't need to roll the dice. Anyway, that minor quibble aside, the game is awesome in all other ways. I love the game so much. But the other thing to draw is uh, terrain. I loved the use of varying heights in terrain in this game being slaughtered by a pair of Minotaurs on the first round when one of them pushes me off of a cliff. And by me, I mean my entire party. Well, it sucks, but wow, what a moment, right? Uh, the but best part about that is I can just load a save game that doesn't work so well when you are playing around a table there is no such thing as a save game so DMs be careful with that but they did make a lot of effort to make the terrain matter in this game there are a lot of, there's a lot of difficult terrain and there are a lot of height differentials that are amazing to play through however most of us are playing this on a virtual tabletop with 2d maps and it can be a little challenging to track height a lot of that stuff has to end up I think in theater the mind At home games, people have gone to elaborate lengths to make amazing terrain for their players. I never have done that. I only just draw with a marker on a battle map. But you can simply tell people, hey, this one's 20 feet high. Have it written down somewhere. Or pretend you had it written down somewhere and make it up when somebody asks. One of the things that I also noticed in the game is that bonus action push In Dungeons and Dragons 5e and in most other games that I've encountered recently, it costs you an actual action, a full-on action to push somebody in combat. So the trade-off in Baldur's Gate 3 to push somebody isn't as big as it is in a real game around a real table with real people or a virtual tabletop. So it may not be something that you'd want to implement. Honestly, I really don't think it is because, as I mentioned, you can't reload your save games. If you Don't think about that and position yourself by that high ledge or get forced into it. Well, you can die. Your character could die anyway. Uh, Hopefully not you, just your character. uh, From dying, from from being pushed on that height in a computer game, you just reload your save game. Hopefully not losing too much work. Another thing that struck me about the game is that there are moments when you can, with some clever thinking or uh, exploiting bugs in the game trivialize some encounters. Uh, I haven't deliberately set about to find bugs and trivialize encounters that way, but I have found myself in situations where I just played my cards right and I had the encounter perfectly set up and it was meant to be a difficult encounter, but it was just a cakewalk. I rolled right through the enemy. They had no chance and it was easy when it was supposed to be hard. That's something that I have actually been doing for years as a DM. If the players are clever and think of something that trivializes a challenge that was meant to be really difficult, a really tough encounter with a strong, scary boss, but you know what? I didn't think of something that they could do, and they think of this brilliant tactic that trivializes it. I go with it. Let them have it. Let them take the win, even if it is easy and you put so much work into it we're here to have fun and tell a good story and sometimes the good guys do get to win and sometimes it isn't as difficult as the enemy was expecting. Their ego got in the way and they didn't see the flaw in their plan. You know, that $200 vent cover that could have prevented that torpedo from blowing up the Death Star really does speak to the hubris of the villains and let them do it. That was my big, one of my big things. The winners don't fight fair. They just take whatever advantages they can and and use it. So let the players do the same thing. If they think of something clever, reward them for it with the trivialized encounter. Why not? The final point before we summarize today's podcast is that I was just struck with how much there was to explore in this game. You can go into an abandoned town, notice that, oh, hey, there's something at the bottom of the well. I climbed down the well. Wow, there's a bunch of stuff down here to explore. Oh, there's a big open pit in the middle of this cavern underground already in the in beneath this well well if I cast Featherfall on it it sounds like on my cell party it sounds like there it might be something down there so I jump down there what do you know now I'm in the underdark there's even another place to explore with side quests and special things to do and all this amazing scenery and I really took that to heart when I was thinking about the games and that I run So it's a good thing when you're running these games online to have a bunch of maps ready to go. It's also really a big challenge. I love the idea of having this amazing setup ready to go for my players so that if they decide to investigate X or Y or Z or some other thing that's not even L in the alphabet I would have something there ready for them to explore. The trouble is I'm just one person versus an entire team that took years and millions of dollars in budgeting to create this entire complex game with all this wonderful stuff to explore and books to read and dogs to pet, owlbear cubs to tame somewhat, all this stuff, that took a lot. But I can do something that a computer can't do. I can improvise. So, again, communication is the key. Sometimes I don't want my players to know I've gone off book and I'm just winging it for whatever I'm telling them. I have had situations not that long ago, in fact, when somebody wasn't certain whether I was winging their answer or whether I had it written down somewhere. I was running a published adventure and I was just completely BSing my answer to something and I was giving a honestly ridiculous answer, but the person wasn't sure because I said it so confidently. That's one way to handle it. And the other way to handle it is, unlike a computer, I can improvise and I can tell a story verbally when I don't have that map ready to go because, again, we're playing this, for the most part, online using virtual tabletops. So nothing wrong, in my opinion, when saying, you know what, you guys are going in a direction that I didn't anticipate, and that's not a problem. I'm happy to run it, but I just don't have a map ready. So for this next section, I'm really sorry. We're going to have to go theater of the mind. I'll describe it. We'll work the possessioning as best we can. You can even have a blank map or grid up there and move your tokens around. That's actually honestly really good because 5e depends so much on positioning. And I'm playing a lot of Pathfinder 2e, which also depends so much on positioning. So nothing wrong with having just tokens on a blank grid and having to describe the the scenario and going from there. I, I think that any player would respect the fact that you're willing to improvise for them when they don't have everything as planned as they'd like and ready to go. So to summarize, uh, as a player, go ahead and communicate with UDM on the backstory. Of course, of course, of course. But also go for the grandiose story. Set yourself up for growth and keep in mind you're playing this with the other players, even when the characters might be in conflict with each other. For the DM, don't forget to utilize the terrain and varied monster types to have that interesting and dynamic encounter. Make the positioning meaningful with height differentials and difficult terrain. And let the players trivialize the encounter sometimes if it makes sense and they've blindsided you with some clever tactic. Also, don't forget to include lots of places to explore. And if you're comfortable with it, just improvise when they go somewhere you didn't prepare for. Through all of that, of course, communication from both sides is the key. If you're a player who has a character who is intended to be flawed but with room to grow, let the DM know that you're intending to have this character grow and the direction you're intending to take it, but also be willing to modify that if the DM has a story in mind where that wouldn't quite fit. When starting this podcast, I promised myself that it would always be short and sweet. And, well, it looks like, in my mind, I've gone on long enough. So we're going to wrap it up for today. I've been enjoying the game. If you've got any comments or criticisms or things to add, go ahead and discuss it in the podcast chat channel. I'd love to hear your thoughts on what's been inspiring your D&D games or other games uh, based on Baldur's Gate 3 or other video games. It's pretty general and I love to talk about stuff like that. It's all I think about when I'm out doing my day job. I also have nothing for next week. I have zero ideas for topics. So please, if you have an idea, send it to me. Otherwise, I'm going to be pretty desperate and I'm sure I'll come up with something, but I'd rather have a little more time to think about it. Thanks and I will see you in two weeks.